from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Baha'i Perspective is a radio program of biographical interviews of people who have either chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life or who have a relationship with the Baha'i faith. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Sabina Van Ness. Sabina grew up in Germany until she was 17. She left Germany at 17 and settled in Hawaii and lived there for 30 years, running a social agency for 10 of those years. She's created a website conveying the message of the Baha'i faith called Heart to Heart. The website is hearttoheartpublications.com. I started the interview by asking Sabina where she grew up and what was it like growing up there. I grew up in uh, in Nordenham, Germany, born in 1942. So it was uh, really towards, well, I guess in the middle of uh, the war, if one were to ask me how was my childhood, I would actually say in our innocence and not understanding, uh, it was actually a very happy childhood. But looking back on it, I also know around me there were bombed out ruins and uh, hunger was on our agenda. We uh, obviously realized that much tragedy was going on. But as, uh, as I became older and I left Germany at the age of 17, I uh, then became very crucially aware what hatred and prejudice could do to civilization. Uh, I eventually uh, left Germany at the age of 17, traveled around the world four times and visited uh, 65 countries. So uh, I've seen much of the world and uh, chose to engage in, uh, in an area of human services that then allowed me truly to, uh, to see what, how difficult and complicated most of us, what complicated lives most of us live. Why was it that you left Germany at 17? Well, uh, it's interestingly, for the last four generations, every firstborn in Germany just left. My great-grandfather, my father, my grandfather just all sort of immigrated uh, to the U.S. independently. And uh, we uh, just sort of seemed to have a little bit of adventure in our veins. I was one of them. I I took two trains and airplanes, including 45,000 sea miles under my keel meaning I also did a lot of ocean travel. Once you got to the United States, what did you do? Well, I actually arrived in the United States. I went to England, then to Canada, and then arrived in Hawaii, which was my port of entry. I lived in Hawaii for 30 years, which were 30 wonderful years. I did a variety of things. I probably am what you would call a jack-of-all-trades and master of none. (laughs) But I ran a social service agency for 10 years and had a medical mission that uh, allowed me to visit many orphanages and hospitals in places where life was most complicated. 
So why such a circuitous route from Germany to England to Canada to Hawaii? I think all I can say, ultimately, warm weather was calling. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't that hard to fall in love with Hawaii, to tell you the truth. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure. (laughs) You must have had some schooling before you started your social service agency. Yes, I did. I uh, worked as a public information officer for Child and Family Service in Hawaii. And it was during that time that I became very... uh, engaged in uh, wondering about, we had just, for that specific agency, uh, we had just opened up a uh, a sort of a a branch in reaching out into the Philippines, and that's when I became interested in uh, human service outreach into uh, the overseas world. I was quite uh, engaged in refugee work, and so it just sort of came together for me. I did that for 10 years. I visited Vietnam in 89, which was still a very complicated time there because before we had a U.S. embassy there, I went to China and Romania. I was in Romania during the time of the fall of Ceausescu, walking through the streets with uh, pandas rolling through the streets, uh, visiting with many of the Baha'i friends that were sort of emerging from obscurity and during that time period. So I uh, sailed through the Pacific, and at an earlier time, I just had an opportunity to see many, many wonderful places. So tell me about how you ran into the Baha'i faith. Well, back in 69, I was shopping for a bikini on the island of Kauai. We were looking through the store, and I happened to go past the counter, and I saw a uh, display of pamphlets there, and I picked out a Baha'i pamphlet that talked about not only the station of Baha'u'llah, who he was, but also touched on the area of principles of the Baha'i faith and progressive revelation. I was born a Lutheran, and I uh, always felt, because of my uh, early youth in Germany, I knew that prejudice of any kind was just detrimental to society. And I just had arrived in Hawaii, and I was living on the big island where I where it was mostly 80% Japanese. So I had just arrived from my Lutheran upbringing. I was now engaging in a Buddhist environment. And it began to occur to me that really that couldn't possibly the concept of the chosen frozen or being just of one uh, faith and all the others would just not be rightly and justly acceptable in the eyes of God. It just didn't make any sense to me. So when I read through that pamphlet, quite honestly, if they've had an opportunity for me to become a Baha'i, I would have done it right there and then on the spot. But I studied still for a short while, and uh, but for me it was really I went shopping for a bikini and came home with religion. <laughs> You mentioned the name of Baha'u'llah, which is the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, but you mentioned also a term called progressive revelation, and maybe you could explain a little bit of what that is. Well, born as a Lutheran, I clearly felt that Jesus Christ was my Savior. And I uh, realized that as I began to travel, especially when I began to travel through 65 countries, that really there's only one God, and that your religion was not an accident of birth. 
So it began to occur to me, and this is what the Baha'i Faith shares, that every millennia, give or take a few years, every millennia, God sends a new divine messenger that will update social laws, but basically maintains spiritual laws, such as uh, love God, pray and, admo- and worship God, always stays the same, but dietary laws, social laws such as dietary laws or laws of days of worship and divorce, how many wives and so on changes with man's capacity to engage in a peaceful uh, community. What are some of the teachings today that are relevant for this age that might be different from past ages? Well, I think it starts off with a very simple principle, such as there's only one God. There's only one religion, namely God's religion. If there's only one religion, then there's only one God. That means all of mankind ultimately will worship that same God. We are responsible independently for recognizing our God's spiritual truths, really. We cannot rely on traditional beliefs or our parents or teachers or maybe even clergy. Men and women are equal, and science and religion and faith and reason are really not in conflict. They're just different ways of investigating reality. Ultimately, one of the principles is that we are created noble and that our free will is the key to developing our personal spiritual potential, meaning that we develop actually through service to God, regardless of what name we call him, and to humanity. Also, another wonderful principle that I personally really enjoy is world peace is inevitable, but it must be founded on justice and supported by an international federation that is dedicated to promoting unity and ultimately protecting the diversity, which is a lesson that I learned the hard way in my youth. Everybody is needed in the process of building a just and peaceful world. It's not just from the top down. It's everybody from the bottom up must support that process. And ultimately, we are spiritual beings who are shaped through our choices in our test of life. And, you know, we have many of them. And after death, we continue to learn and progress as spiritual beings. The world is really just one family, and prejudices of race and gender are unacceptable because God loves us all. Different prophets and will have and always will come to mankind. That's progressive revelation. Essential truth is one, but our perception of it is relative. Social laws change according to mankind's maturity is sort of what I'm saying. Now, you mentioned one teaching about celebrating diversity or diversity, and you said that you had to learn that lesson the hard way. What did you mean by that? Well, being a a product of World War II Germany and looking at the Holocaust in all of its uh, tragedies, that are sort of the, certainly the sins of my forefathers, is a very difficult burden to carry. And over my many years, I uh, have to constantly am reminded of that. There isn't a week that doesn't go by that touches on those tragedies to uh, have personally experienced through a war-torn youth in my life, meaning a building up of a war-torn Germany, I was reminded that every time we do something that is of a prejudicial nature, it has consequences. 
and those consequences are devastating as we still see today on Earth. Once you became a Baha'i, did the Baha'i faith at all change your perspective on life and your work? The Baha'i faith has profoundly impacted all of my decision-making, and, and certainly it has impacted my relationship as I go into conversation with many of my friends around the world. It has impacted to the degree that when suddenly conversations come up that might deal either with our relationship with the United Nations or with each other, it impacted my decision-making when I uh, talk about conversation and deal with conversations of finances and economic collapses or support. It uh, gives me guidance whether I think of the issues on abortion or guidance on possibly a health health and healing for not only man's soul, but even man's physical health. Marriage, it gives me uh, a sense of centeredness when I go and pray or I meditate. Or even when I uh, engage with those around me or myself in my own family, when I think about uh, life after this life, my relationship with Christ, my relationship with Baha'u'llah and my soul. How do I deal with science and religion? It, it really uh, it gives me a, a centered vision and mission how to engage with social and, and spiritual topics around me in just uh, in almost every sense of the way and in every day. It had absolutely completely uh, supported my spiritual journey and my and my vision of humanity. So it greatly impacted my work and my relationship. In fact, it impacted my, I dealt with many uh, ministers at different levels in uh, uh, places such as uh, India and China and Romania and in all the many places that I worked with. And absolutely, it uh, in, impacted my, uh, my humanitarian outlook, yes. Now, specifically, what was your work for those 10 years? I had a uh, child placement agency. So I dealt with orphanages and hospitals and medical missions. So I brought in medical supplies to the various places and uh, tried to support them uh, locally in some of their undertakings that were, especially at a time when uh, communism was coming down and uh, walls were opening and we... uh, were looking at circumstances at that time that were very devastating. When you walk into a foreign country, you realize very quickly that no matter what you do, it, 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 it barely causes a ripple. And really, the best way that we could at that time build out a, a broken system in human services, the best way really was to find a way to make themselves sufficient but during my era, really uh, required a lot of funding. Uh, and eventually I got out of that after 12 years of working very hard at that because I just didn't have the finances that it took to mend some of that. But it's, I think it's sort of all turning around where we realize that sooner or later we have to be responsible and have to make moral decisions at our own level. And uh, I would say at an era when it was just so devastating that really 
it was the most complicated time. Can you at all describe how devastating it was? It takes me back, uh, obviously, some years earlier, but in those days, orphanages, the, the children were just, there was not enough food, there were, were no toys for them to play with. There were, really, there were institutions that were, in, in those days, that were really, uh, I don't want to share uh, imprisonment, but even in this country in the early days, our own uh, orphanages here were left much to be desired. And by the time we went into, the develop, uh, into let's say, Romania at that time, it was just, uh, it was a, a real eye-opener because the children were not necessarily strapped to their beds, but they were sort of in their beds. And it was heartbreaking to see the lack of human uh, interaction with the, that the children had with anybody outside of that. So I don't want to dwell on that because it, it has changed. So thank God we now are living more in an open-windowed uh, world and uh, tragedies like that cannot be closed off from the, the outward-looking eyes. Thank God to that. Sabina, you had done the social services work for 10 to 12 years. What happened at that point when you... My husband became quite ill, and I could no longer really travel extensively as I had done at that time, and I needed to be at home, and I stopped to be permanently home, and that was a good thing, and Actually, I had an antique store for a while mm-hmm. just to get from something extreme, from one extreme to the other. But uh, I enjoyed that very much. By the time, uh, I think within three, four years of that, I began to realize what I really wanted to prepare myself full time was to bring home the idea that we're all each other's keepers. And I wanted to develop a concept, an idea, how we can relate the ideas to society around us, the perspective of the Baha'is. And I try to work myself into a program that now I call Heart to Heart. And it's taken many, many years to develop it, but we are there now. Because, you know, religion is really an outer expression of a divine reality. You know, if it's not living, it's got to be revitalized, and it's got to be moving, and it's got to be uh, progressive. And if it isn't that, if it's stationary, then religion becomes dead. And I wanted to become part of that, to make it, move it forward, and to bring it into a, in sort of an ever-advancing possibility that we could with easily reach out into the world, which is what I do now in virtual, what I call virtual home uh, fireside chats or virtual chats. And uh, we engage in conversation literally uh, around the world every day where we share each other's ideas and bring out our solutions, the Baha'i perspective and its solutions. When did this idea germinate in you? It began to ring up in 96. I finally culminated that project in uh, last year, spring, which is what, 2009, 13 years. It was 13 years of pretty well every day conceptualizing and the idea, but I have to be honest that technology had to catch up with me. 
because in those days technology was primitive, whereas today it's very exciting, it's instant, it is graphic, it is colorful, it is spontaneous, interactive vision, and you can eyes and you can talk and, and engage with each other. So it's very exciting now. Yeah. That didn't exist in 96. Yeah, in 96, people were just becoming aware of the Internet. Yeah, that's right. Your idea of a virtual community pretty much depends on that technology. That's exactly right. Facebook is the third largest country in the world. And then we have, you know, 8 million of us, and we all have friends out there in the world, and we need to be able to connect with them instantaneously. Right. I just heard the statistic that there are 400 million people on Facebook. That's right. And 3,000 of them are in my own circle of friends. Yeah. So you can imagine, once we reach out to those friends, that how we have a wonderful opportunity to virtually engage, but still seeing each other, having that cup of coffee together, waving at each other, uh, say prayers together, and inspire each other, meditate together, but mostly really just reach out one heart at a time and one soul at a time. So tell me, uh, Sabina, how you utilize the technology to do what you're doing? Well, I get up in the morning. I'll give you a good day, uh, what it looks like. Uh, I get up in the morning, and depending on where the world clock is moving, I might uh, say hello to a dear Baha'i friend in Enoch in Cameroon, in Cameroon, Africa, and he will share with me what his neighborhood is doing. Then a little bit later, I'll talk to a friend in Poland and then to some more friends in Brazil. And ultimately, I'll be somebody in Hawaii. I just got a minute ago, talk to some friends and their friends in Hawaii. And then it moves over to Korea and Malaysia. And by, chi- by the time my day goes into China, I go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of a 12-day journey around the world with an eight-hour resting period in between. And I meet uh, not only the other Baha'is, but I, meet the, I, I visit with them, I see them, I wave to them, I have a cup of coffee with them, and I ask them, and I was just talking with my dear friend in Kathmandu in uh, Nepal. They're very complicated times for many of our friends around the world, difficult, marchings in the street, people on strike and dissatisfied with their governments. It is a scary time, and as a Baha'i, we can be that refuge in times of social turmoil, but we can still offer that solution that sooner or later, if we all get on the same page and become that one family, we can make a difference. So it's really a sort of a wonderful moving, progressively moving forward and emerging into the trenches of the, of the individuals from the bottom up virtualizing the grassroots of civilization. So how can people find out about your project? Well, they uh, can go and sign on. We have this brand new wonderful site. It's called hearttoheartpublications.com. And in there is this wonderful new tool that I call Heart to Heart, and it's free anybody in the world to just click on it, and there it is right up front, and uh, you can just Immerse yourself into the many, many aspects of the Baha'i faith and can engage in, uh, in the area that's of interest to you, whether it's your relationship with Christ and you wonder how Baha'u'llah fits into all of that, 
or your relationship maybe where you want to are you socially active and you want to make a difference to bring about a more peaceful world or whether you are maybe somebody that's not well and that is despaired and maybe even depressed. You can go into some of our slides that help you to meditate and to pray and learn maybe how to pray again, but that is what is there, and it's free, and I just like to invite you to go and look at Heart to Heart and, and become part of this overall family that really believes that world peace is inevitable. Now, are you still in Hawaii? I am in Seattle, Washington. Uh-huh. And what were the circumstances that had you leave Hawaii after 30 years? Oh, that's a sad story. Okay, so I left Hawaii because my husband was not well, and we decided that he wanted to show me uh, more of the U.S. So we moved to Florida, and I lived there for 10 years, and it was just wonderful years. And then my husband passed away, and I was widowed in 2001. Mm. My son lived in Seattle, and he mm. said, Mom, why don't you come up to Seattle? And I did. And then in 2005 and 2003, I met this wonderful man named Peter, and we married in 2005. And here I am living in Seattle, talking and communicating with the world around me. Well, congratulations. Thank you. That's great. Where do you want to see this Heart to Heart project go from here? What I would like to share with, uh, with those that are listening is that, that we have this wonderful process in motion that the Baha'i World offers through devotionals and children's and junior youth classes and study circles. And what we are, we are sort of a bridge into that process. We engage with the many friends who are interested in the Baha'i faith. We engage in conversation with them. And then we, we will introduce them to in many a community around the world to uh, discover more about the claimant station of Baha'u'llah. So what I would like to see happen is that more uh, Baha'is and their friends alike meet each other and open up a wide conversation according to individual investigation of truth. Which is another concept of the Baha'i faith, right? Which is a very important concept of the Baha'i faith. And what does investigation of truth mean? You know, life has brought you up to a point where you have had your experiences, whether for better or for worse, and suddenly you come across that word Baha'i. And what does it mean? It sounds just so strange. And you wonder about it, and you ask, and suddenly, my life's experience, somehow you would like to connect them into the, not only the principles and verities of the Baha'i faith, but also into the person of Baha'u'llah. And how does it work? It's different for everybody. It was different for me. It was different for all of my 8 million friends around the world, regardless of where you live. You know, religion is really not just an accident of birth. Religion is that moment when you've had your independent journey and suddenly you have this need for something more uh, of a deeper spiritual level and you feel that you're just ready to uh, embrace this global, this one world, this one faith, this one religion, and you just sort of begin to independently cross over from having uh, your understanding of uh, your spiritual journey today 
and then you take a leap forward and become a, a member of this new global faith, this new global family named the Baha'i Faith. Well, Sabina, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing us about uh, your project Heart to Heart. Well, I want to thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk to you today, and I hope we shall see you virtually online. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that interview with Sabina Van Ness, a Baha'i now living in the Seattle area, who created a website conveying the message of the Baha'i faith called Heart to Heart. The website is hearttoheartpublications.com. For a copy of this and other programs, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Can you hear the sound of hearts beating all the world around? Down in the valley, out on the plain, everywhere around the world, the heartbeat sounds the same. Black or white, red or tan, it's the heart of the Can you hear the sound of laughter all the world around? High in the mountains, down by the sea, everywhere around the world, laughter sounds the same to me. Black or white, red or tan, it's the sound of the Sounds so sweet Black or white Red or tan
been happy lately Thinking about the good things to come And I believe it could be Something good has begun Oh, I've been smiling lately Dreaming about the world at one And I believe it could be Someday it's going to come Cause out on the edge of darkness There rides a peace train Oh, peace train, take this country Come take me home again I've been smiling lately Thinking about the good things to come And I believe it could be Something good has begun Oh, peace train sounding louder for change but nothing grows from conflict except the things we hate about ourselves 
No, they can't pass a law to end indifference. No human rights can break us from our shell. Cause true freedom is in submission to his commandments and say, Who needs them? But we're all wishing for something more mysterious than us His lips have disappeared from acting serious. Watching all his numbers rise and fall He walks on by me singing in the subway And he plugs his ears, won't listen to me calling out that True freedom is in submission to his commandments We say, who needs them? But we're all wishing for something more remarkable than material About the door to your apartment But how did you think that could keep you safe from anything? True freedom is in submission to his commandments And you say, who needs them? But we're out wishing for something more mysterious Than them and us True freedom is in submission to his commandments And you say, who needs them? But we're out wishing for something more remarkable Than material True freedom is in submission to his commandments And you say, who needs them? But we're out wishing for something more fulfilling this is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.